Hey, this is the NYFC Podcast. I'm Lindsay lusher Shute. We're still talking about the farm bill this week. After the House passed a one-party bill, the Senate passed their own bill, a bipartisan bill, last week. In this podcast, I talked to Andrew Berenberg again about how this bill actually made it out of the Senate with nearly everyone in support, Republicans and Democrats, a crazy and unexpected debate on Cuba, and what's next as the House and Senate try to reach a compromise on the Farm Bill this summer. Hi, how are you? Hi, I am well. I think everyone here in in D.C. that works on the Farm Bill is... uh, breathing a sigh of relief. The Senate bill has passed. Yeah, we have, a, we have a Senate farm bill. We have a Senate farm bill. We now have a farm bill from both the House and the Senate, um, which is where we needed to be if we have any hope of seeing a final bill before the current one expires in September. Um, so it's a big, big milestone was reached yesterday. Yesterday you said it was kind of a boring week because there was nothing happening. But there was actually kind of a lot happening, but behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, A lot of that has to do with just the differences between the House and the Senate. Um, When a big bill like this goes before the House, um, it's a tightly structured process. The Rules Committee determines which amendments will be brought up, um, how long each one will be debated, um, which side gets how many minutes to debate each amendment, yada yada. You can pretty accurately predict when votes will happen and and when the whole thing will wrap up. Not so with the Senate. Um, So what we had a lot of this week was... um, hurry up and wait, like expecting things to go to the floor, um, and then just crickets chirping um, on the Senate floor as behind the scenes deals were made um, to bring up this amendment, avoid bringing up that amendment. um, And when it all finally came together yesterday, um, they made extremely quick work of it. uh, And we couldn't tell if it was going to happen um, until a, just a short, a couple hours before it, it ultimately did. Okay, so just just rewind really quickly. So it went through the Senate Ag Committee and was marked up there. Mm-hmm. Then the then the Ag Committee voted on it, and then it went to the Senate floor. Well, so there's some Senate procedure where they have to basically vote on a motion to proceed, essentially put into motion, okay, this thing is headed to the Senate floor. Um, That happened Monday evening. After that happens, then any member of the Senate can file amendments. Um, So there were over 100 amendments filed Monday night through Tuesday. The committee, so essentially Chairman Roberts and and the ranking Democrat, Debbie Stabenow, um, were negotiating together over which amendments they wanted to bundle together and just include in the bill, um, which ones deserved their own debate, and which ones, and this is kind of the most important part, which ones they didn't want to go to the Senate floor for debate. Kind of the big stories this week were the amendments that were not considered and were not voted on. But first, let's go like highs and lows with amendments. What passed, Andrew? What didn't? What changed from the last time that we talked about the Senate Farm Bill, which by and large is is a decent bipartisan bill? So it remains a very decent bipartisan bill. Um, Most of the amendments that were included were essentially bundled together because they consisted of bipartisan, non-controversial amendments um, that didn't 
factor into the cost of the bill one way or the other. So budget neutral, non-scoring amendments. Non-scoring meaning that like the Congressional Budget Office doesn't assign a big price tag to it. Exactly. Um, Any price tag, which was really important. If you wanted to get your amendment into this farm bill, you needed to write it in such a way that it wouldn't make any changes to the overall cost of the bill. Um, So there were a lot of little tweaks, including some good ones on uh, conservation and water and and soil health um, that created some areas of emphasis around those things. Um, There was one amendment that we were pushing um, that would make it easier to transfer farmland between generations, um, which was a particularly important issue for farmers of color in the South um, that we had been working on as part of a coalition um, of other organizations. That was included in the bill. That's a big win. Um, That will also help us get a lot of new data on farmland transition and succession. Ultimately, there were only a few amendments that made it to the Senate floor for full debate and an actual vote. The two big ones, um, Senators Lee and and Cruz offered an amendment to impose a lot of the work requirements to SNAP, to food stamps that uh, were very similar to what was in the House bill. Um, Both Roberts and Stabenow worked very hard to kill that amendment, um, and it ultimately failed 38 to 57, so not even close. The reason that they worked really hard to kill that amendment is that if that was adopted into the bill, that would significantly compromise its ability to to pass the Senate on a final vote. Do you think more Senate, well, clearly they they voted down the amendment, but more Senate Republicans, you think, would have voted against those work requirements or the bill overall? had that amendment been included in in the final package. Yes, and it would have caused Democrats to to head for the exits as well, right? So every Democrat ended up voting to pass this final Senate Farm Bill. Many might not have had those work requirements been included. Um, So that was a big win for Senate leadership um, in kind of averting that crisis scenario. And just, and just Andrew, quickly, this, the uh, SNAP work requirements, this, those are the same as the House, which would have taken about like 400,000 households off of SNAP benefits or, or food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's important to note that, that food stamps already have significant work requirements, right? And so these efforts in both the House and with this amendment um, were to push well beyond the current work requirements um, to, to something that would end up kicking a lot of families off of SNAP. Not to mention creating a huge bureaucratic nightmare for states trying to comply with these new requirements. Um, tons of paperwork and data collection, etc. But the big story this week was a bit of a surprise issue. So during the Senate Agriculture Committee markup, um, Senator Heitkamp, Democrat from North Dakota, who's on the ballot this year, included an amendment um, that would allow USDA trade promotion funds to be used in Cuba to help develop new markets for agricultural producers um, to sell things to Cuba. That was a big problem for some of the more Cuba hardliners, namely Mar- Marco Rubio. So wait, that means that the USDA would 
this is what I heard in part that maybe like farmers or representatives of businesses would be paid to go to Cuba or vice versa to like establish a trade relationship. Is that right? So taxpayer dollars to strengthen ties with Cuba on agriculture trade. That's partly how it works. So USDA currently has lots of funds at its disposal to help develop export markets for US ag producers. Now, obviously, Cuba has not in the past been a great market (laughs) due to the embargo. But as things have softened over the last few years um, in terms of U.S. relations with Cuba, that's suddenly a new market for U.S. ag producers. So Heitkamp's amendment would have made Cuba eligible for those funds, for USDA to use those funds to help establish stronger relationships um, to benefit U.S. producers. What do they make in, sorry, what do they make in North Dakota that they want to sell to Cuba? I mean, any number of ag commodities, but it doesn't stop Mm -hmm. there. Um, Things like agricultural equipment have been something that that U.S. equipment manufacturers have been eyeing. Remember that, you know, Cuba has not had use of American ag technology for some time. Uh, There's a lot of agricultural equipment that obviously U.S. equipment manufacturers are, are, you know, salivating over a a new market right in our backyard. Okay, so who opposed it? So, Senator Marco Rubio had a big problem with that, in part because he is a Republican senator from Florida and has a large U.S. Cuban-American population. He went to the Senate floor on Tuesday and said, "Um, I'm going to block any amendment to this farm bill um, until you remove that height camp amendment from from the bill. And in the Senate, of course, the way that Senate rules work, if any senator has a bone to pick like that, they can pretty much grind the place to a screeching halt. Um, And so that is what happened. Uh, So for most of Tuesday and most of Wednesday, aside from a senator here and there going to the Senate floor to just talk about the farm bill generally, um, like I said, there was just dead air on the C-SPAN TVs because they had to sit down with Rubio um, and negotiate out sort of a peace treaty. (laughs) What they ultimately ended up doing was a compromise that did not remove the Heitkamp language altogether, um, but gave the Secretary of Agriculture discretion on how those funds could be spent, and in particular um, could impose a restriction that no none of those funds could be spent to help businesses in Cuba that are owned by the Cuban military. You know, you can go down a rabbit hole of like U.S. diplomatic statecraft um, and foreign relations that we should probably <laughs> not get into. Um, we'll save it for another time. Yeah. But so anyway, the fever broke, the deal was struck. Um, and so late yesterday afternoon, um, everything was moving once again. Um, and they were able to vote on that series of amendments uh, and then ultimately pass the the farm bill um, on an overwhelming bipartisan vote, 86 to 11. It was not close. The 11 no votes were mostly conservative Republicans um, who either wanted to see more structural changes to um, farm programs or most importantly, that wanted to see those tighter work requirements um, in, in SNAP program. 
Um, so it was not conservative enough for them to vote for. Now, Andrew, one of the uh, amendments that we were looking to see was to get USDA to study this issue of, of student loans. That amendment didn't go forward. Do you have any sense of why that wasn't taken seriously by the Senate? No, um, haven't gotten a full explanation. I mean, I should say most amendments that were submitted did not go any further past that, right? So about 30 were packaged together, were deemed acceptable by um, leadership, and were adopted immediately into the bill on a voice vote. Ours was not on that boat. It's unfortunate. We did have bipartisan support. We had Senator Inhofe, a Republican from Oklahoma, um, as the other lead sponsor on it, along with um, Senators Tom Udall from New Mexico and Chris Murphy from Connecticut. So we, we had support. We had them um, making calls to Senate leadership and to Senate Ag Committee staff. Um, but ultimately, we weren't able to get it in there. Already this morning, Aaron and I have been talking about ways in which we can go back to the drawing board, try and get USDA uh, to start looking at this issue in, in a more serious way. Because they could do it on their own, USDA. It wouldn't require Congress to tell them to do a study. They could decide to do it. Exactly. Okay, so Andrew, we have a, a farm bill that has now passed the Senate. What what happens today <laughs> and going forward? How do we get the final thing? Yeah, so they now have well, everyone probably sleeps in today after a long week. Um, they now have three months to negotiate the differences between the two bills. So the House bill actually widens some of the loopholes in things like commodity payments um, that allow some of those payments to go to people who are not farmers and who have probably never even set foot on a farm. Um the House widens those loopholes. The Senate bill, thanks to um, the Grassley Amendment that I referenced earlier, um, tightens them somewhat. The other big differences um, are in the conservation title, and that's an issue that, that we've been monitoring very closely and have been actively engaged in. I don't think it will be quite as difficult as the nutrition uh, title issue, because that piece ties so closely with the Republican midterm political strategy um, and just gets wrapped up in electoral politics way more than things like conservation programs uh, on the farm do. Is there anything that NYFC food and farm policy activists should be doing during this negotiation that's going to happen with conference committee? Yeah, and we'll be talking a lot more about this as we go. Um, obviously, the sphere of influence narrows when you have fewer people in the room now, um, now that it's kind of this elite group of negotiators. There are still some things we can do to influence that, primarily by highlighting the things in the Senate bill that we like. At youngfarmers.org, on our website, we've outlined a lot of the policy wins for young farmers that are in the Senate bill. Um, so it's going to be really important to communicate to both House members and senators um, the, how important it is to keep those things in the final package. Because ultimately, everyone, every representative, every senator is going to have to vote on this one more time. They're going to vote on the final negotiated deal. And we want them to be going through that final deal and looking for our priorities in there. Functionally speaking, they really have till the end of the year, right? They could pass a three-month extension and still 
reach an agreement, you know, before Christmas time, and, and that could still work. But go any further past that, you have a new Congress that's seated. Uh, you have to start this process all over again. So what will happen next is they will appoint what's called a conference committee. That's representatives from the House and the Senate uh, that will sit down and negotiate the differences in this bill and try and create something that can pass both chambers and specifically that Paul Ryan will be willing to bring to the House floor for a vote. So it's an open question that if what the conference committee sends back to the House and Senate doesn't include those strong work requirements in SNAP, will Speaker Ryan allow it to go forward? There are basically two conference committees. There's the one on paper, but really the real negotiating happens behind closed doors. It will happen between the top Republican and the top Democrat of the two House and Senate Ag Committees. And that's why that Senate vote yesterday is so important, that they got 86 senators voting for it, is that now Senators Roberts and Stabenow can go into that negotiation saying, look, our bill passed with flying colors. Every Democrat, most Republicans supported it. Like, we've got something that works. Um, That strengthens their hand at the negotiating table. Whereas Chairman Conaway of the House Ag Committee you know, he's got a, a bill that was passed with only Republican votes that was incredibly divisive. And so the Senate will be like presenting a unified front in those negotiations. And then Colin Peterson, the top Democrat on the House committee, um, is it's an open question, but is likely to side with those senators in saying, uh, yeah, we got to do this bipartisan if we're going to do it at all. So do you think the House is willing to uh Paul Ryan is willing to put a a bill forward that is going to require Democrats to vote in support of it? Is he willing to do that? I mean, he's retiring, so maybe it's not as big of a deal for his, you know, next potential term as as speaker. Yeah, um, that's the big question. You hope that as, you know, even President Trump has, has tweeted about how important those work requirements are to him um, in the farm bill, in the couple of times he's tweeted about the farm bill. You're, you're hoping that they at least leave themselves enough off-ramps so that they could still do that, right? Once the rhetoric gets too hot around that and the demands get too black and white, um, then, then you can't do that. But ultimately, I think it's going to come down to Speaker Ryan's Legacy Is it adhering to the incredibly fiscally conservative welfare reforms that he's made a centerpiece of his agenda? Or is it being able to say he passed a, a farm bill that supported Wisconsin farmers? And, um, and the, obviously, and we talked about this in the last, the last podcast, Lindsay, the fact that he's retiring complicates this too because there are a few other a few of his deputies that are angling to take his place. Um, And so how much influence they're able to wield um, as they sort of fight over that speaker's gavel um, to replace him as the, as the top Republican dog in the house. Um, That's an open question as well. And do you think it's going to be a a campaign issue uh, coming up for November? Is that is that you know when when people are at a candidate forum or 
they see candidates on the street that are are running to be their their member of Congress. Do you think that they should bring the farm bill up? Absolutely. Um, obviously, there are a lot of issues that are that are going to be debated in this upcoming election. Um, but making candidates address our issues always helps, both in this farm bill cycle and for the next Congress. Right? Um, it's so important to show up to these candidate forums and say, "I'm a farmer. What are you going to do for me in Congress?" Because then they're on record saying those things. Right. I think yeah. ultimately what's really going to – if the farm bill is uh, an election year issue at all, it's whether or not they can pass it. So I think also highlighting the stakes for us and for our farmers if a farm bill is not passed in time for the deadline is also really important. So that's the other big picture message that we need to continue sending is get this thing done. Right. Okay, Andrew, thanks so much for, for talking to us. Take care. So we'll keep you posted as the Senate and House try to work it out. In the next episode, I talk to Ferd Hefner of the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition about the campaign to change crop insurance in the Farm Bill. He breaks down why these changes are important to small farms. Subscribe to this pod for updates, and we would really appreciate it if you can rate and review us on iTunes, and definitely tell your friends. Thank you to everyone who made this thing, Hannah Beal, Andrew Berenberg, and thank you for listening. Talk soon. Oh, oh yeah, if uh, you want to sponsor this pod, just email pod at youngfarmers.org. Thanks.